Well, how are we doing this evening? We doing all right? Good. Anybody excited to be in the Lord's house tonight? I tell you what, it blessed my heart when, when we cry out to prayer in transparent honesty. I believe, just like I was praying when little Toby just makes a noise, mom and dad hear everything. I can make all kinds of noise in the night and my wife doesn't wake up. But Caden just has to breathe sideways and carry leaps out of bed. Your Heavenly Father is so attuned to everything that concerns you. And I believe tonight, many of you, you're the faithful core. You would be here no matter what. But this is not just an average evening. This is a night with your Abba Father who wants to reach out and allow you to have an encounter with Him again. We're continuing in our second week of of a series called Rendezvous, looking at sacred encounters with God. And this is based off of a curriculum from Nazarene Publishing House that we're using as our skeleton. And I shared with you a little bit last week about a companion book that obviously is not required to be a part of, of this teaching here on uh, Sunday evening. But some of you uh, who enjoy reading, you may enjoy this book. It's by Dr. Frank Moore. He was my neighbor in Olathe, Kansas. And what I love about Dr. Moore is he is absolutely brilliant, but he talks like a human being. Now, I know a lot of brilliant people who, when I listen to him, I go, man, you're smart. I have no idea what you said. But I like hearing people who have great words of wisdom, but it's very easy to read. And this is a Rendezvous, A Sacred Encounter with God by Dr. Moore. And I'm going to leave this up here. Maybe uh, you would like a copy of this. This is an extra copy. The first one after I'm done. Don't come running now. Uh, you're welcome to uh, grab that and you can enjoy that for yourself and pass it on to someone else. Take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We'll be at verse uh, 10, 1 through 10 here in, in just a minute. Luke Chapter 19, we'll be looking at verse 1 through 10. The focus of what we have this evening is best described as an encounter with Christ. Encountering Christ in my life. What does it look like for you to encounter Christ personally in your life? Listen as I read. Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And then verse 7 is interesting. All the people saw this and began to mutter. We don't use the word mutter very much. Though we hear people mutter all the time. They began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 
Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our text today talks about the people we so dearly love. Our internal revenue service. If you think that the IRS has a bad name now, just imagine if there was no set scale for them to assess taxes on you. The tax collector in this day, as Zacchaeus was, they could just determine any amount that they wanted to take from you. In fact, their salary would be a derivative of whatever's left over after what they gave to the government. So you look at them wrong, you begin to frustrate them, you get in their way, they could say, hey, pay up more taxes. And they could just take whatever they wanted. And so this was a a group of people who were less than loved by the public. And Jesus is found not only going to this tax collector, this cheat, this swindler's house, but talking about the salvation that is offered to him. Let's look at this strange and unusual story with some strange elements in it. Jesus is on his way through a town, and it almost has a parade feel about it. As Jesus is passing through towns, people are watching and they're trying to get a good seed, and, and Jesus is encountering them, and some things begin to get very interesting. As people encounter Christ, Zacchaeus wants to see so badly that he climbs a tree, and that's where this encounter takes place. Think of this scene. Jesus approaches this tree and tells him, Come down. You remember the song, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. If you don't, then you missed out on a Sunday school song that I will not sing for you, but someone else can. Zacchaeus is called to come down, and this tax collector has an encounter with Christ that changes him forever. When you really think about it, Zacchaeus was so desperate to see Jesus, he did whatever it would take to be in a place where he could encounter Christ. I think it would be amiss for us not to at least acknowledge that we have the same thing. You can see Jesus if you want to bad enough. You can encounter Christ if you want to encounter Him bad enough. We live in such a comfort, consumer-driven culture that it is so easy for something to throw us and get us off track spiritually. What do you mean, Brady? Well, I I want to hear from God today, but I can't believe it. Everybody was late at the office today. It just ruined my whole day. What does it have to do with God and your encounter with Him? Well, I would press in and want to just sense the presence of God today, but everybody in my house has the flu. They're all sick. Well, I'm sorry, but what does that have to do with encountering Jesus today? I would encounter Christ today, but I just feel so depressed. Friend, I'm not making light of your situation, but I am saying that Scripture gives us not only this picture, this is just kind of a a secondary or tertiary truth, but all throughout Scripture, if you draw close to me, I will draw close to you, says your Lord. When we begin to press into His presence, He responds. Call on the name of the Lord and He will respond to you. If you really want to encounter Christ, 
If you want to hear from Him bad enough, you can hear from Him. The good news is, it's not all up to you. Yes, it's true, if you want to hear Jesus bad enough, that you can hear from Him, but it's not about your willpower or your might or gritting your teeth, and I'm going to hear from God today regardless. In fact, at the end of this passage we just read, there is something that I think is the foundation of the gospel. It is so key, it is so pivotal, it is, it is a, a central truth to the very good news that we embrace. Look at the very last part of chapter 19, verse 10, last part of our, our section anyway. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus put himself in a position to see Jesus, but when he was looking for Jesus, Jesus came looking for him. Now this is important for us. We can have these encounters with Christ and we need to do our part. But remember, Jesus was seeking out Zacchaeus and he is seeking out you. Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus by acknowledging him and speaking to him. Jesus was forward in pursuing a relationship with him. This outcast tax collector that nobody else wanted to encounter. Jesus said, I'm going to not only speak to him, I'm going to invite myself into his life. Jot this down. His encounter with Christ, Zacchaeus' encounter with Christ, involved a new identity. Uh, Verse 9 of chapter 19, Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. And after their encounter, Jesus also called him a son of Abraham. Isaiah 43, verse 1 tells us, I have called you by name and you are mine. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you have a new identity. When you have an encounter with Christ, it changes everything. It affects you in a deep way. Now my guess is that there's a lot of us in this room that can testify to an encounter with Jesus at some point in our life. But imagine with me if you didn't have to just look back to history to think of Jesus encountering you. In this series, we're talking about what it would be like to have sacred encounters with Christ every day of our life. Now, this doesn't mean that you have a zinger every morning. That's what I call when you read the Word and it just leaps off the page. And you go, yes, I love it. Sometimes I read and I just go, well, that's that's good. But you can have a sacred encounter with God regardless if you feel a zinger or not. God wants to encounter you. It's not just because you seek Him, though that's important. We'll talk about that towards the end tonight. It's also that He is running after you to seek and to save those who are far from Him. His encounter with Christ, Zacchaeus' encounter with Christ, it produced a sudden change. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up to Him and He said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Luke 19, verse 9, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man is also called the son of Abraham. Now look at Zacchaeus' response to Jesus. He doesn't need a lot of time. He doesn't apparently have many minutes to think of a response. It appears to be very spontaneous. Instantly, he says, Here, now, Lord, I give. And then he begins to talk about his action of what he's going to do. When he had an encounter with Christ, it 
brought about a change in his identity. God spoke to him through Jesus of being a son of Abraham, and he had worth ascribed to him when others around him didn't see much in him. And now we begin to see a sudden change taking place. I ask you tonight, when was the last time Jesus prompted a sudden change in you? Some of us like change like we like another root canal. I'm not talking about change for the sake of change. That can be silly. But when you encounter Jesus, something should happen. There should be a response. It should elicit something in us of some act of obedience, some act of of worship, some act of reverence and awe, some act of, of leaping out in faith. It produced a sudden change for Zacchaeus. Third, his encounter with Christ brought an inward transformation. When the grace of God gets a hold of someone, things inside your life begin to change. I haven't shared here yet at Grace Point, I don't believe, but at some point I believe I'll feel clear to share a a thought, but I'll just give a snippet of it to you now. How many of of you in your house have what I would affectionately call a junk drawer? Now before you answer, this is not a drawer that's unorganized. Some of you just are so uptight that if it's unorganized you call it a junk drawer. No, no. This is the drawer that has everything in it that doesn't match anything else in your house. You can have the scissors that you use to cut the end of the popsicle thing off. You can have the mail that no one wanted to deal with that's stuck in there. You can have the lost sock that should have been put in someone's room in this junk drawer. I mean, it is full of junk and you don't even know why you have it. Anybody have a junk drawer in your house? It's one of my favorite places because you can put things away and not have to organize anything. It's great. If you put it in a junk drawer, you're done. It's there. It's over. You shut it, and you don't show it to anybody. If you come over to my house, I will not show you my junk drawer. But I have it, and it's full of junk. But one of the things that we don't think about is spiritually, we can have a junk drawer. We can have all kinds of things that we throw into this drawer that we don't examine too often and we begin to try to cram it shut and you know how it works at your house you get enough things in there and you finally shut it and then something springs up inside and you can't get it back open again but you don't really care because you don't want the things in there it's junk it's just the next time you have to hide something then you work and shift to try to pull it out and stick things back in there You see, when we have an encounter with Christ, it should not only change the things on the outside, but it should affect the junk drawer of our life. There should be an inner transformation. It should be cleaning house all the way throughout, especially in the spiritual junk drawer. What's jamming up the junk drawer in your heart? God is saying, daughter, son, I love you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But I want freedom from you, for you. I want you to be free from the junk of this world. And, and you're clinging on to the trash. And let me transform you from the inside out. Luke chapter 5 verse 32 says in this paraphrase, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. It's an invitation to a changed life. Change the inside out. I don't know exactly what they talked about 
and all that happened, but I think when you sit in the presence of an unconditional, unmerited love of Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. It did with Zacchaeus, and he had a change that was evident to everybody around him. Fourth, we see that his encounter with Christ resulted in outward action. It wasn't just internal alone. It also affected the outward actions of his life. He gives evidence of repentance. He renounces his sin. And he proclaims his salvation in Jesus Christ. Luke records of John the Baptist preaching in chapter 3. And he said some things that apply to his own experience would apply to us with our encounter with Christ. Luke 3 verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. What in the world is this text saying to us? Hey friend, don't hang your hat on the fact that you have grown up in a Christian family for your whole life. Don't hang your hat on the fact that you've been a part of Grace Point since it was Lake Avenue and you can remember pictures of Lily Street. Don't hang your hat on the fact that that you have done X, Y, Z for God in the past. Where is your sacred encounter with God in recent days? I don't care what venue it is. I don't care what setting it is. My absolute favorite question to ask people is, tell me what Jesus is teaching you lately. Here's why. It's twofold. I want to know. I want to grow from what Jesus is teaching them. And second, I want to know if they're learning from Jesus. The question is not if Jesus is teaching you something. The question is, are you and I listening to hear Him? To respond to Him? Jesus is running after us. He's here to seek and save us and to run after us. But are we responding to Him? Even these corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. Luke 3, 12-13. Even the people who we think they're not going to get it, they were coming to Jesus and He transformed them. Not because of their willpower, their might, their gritting of their teeth, but because they cooperated with the very work of the living Word. Zacchaeus, he experiences that very day the salvation and he encounters Christ. I just want to pause right there and we're going to take a left turn in a second. But I want you to let that principles from that passage sink into your heart. Where do you find yourself in Zacchaeus' narrative? Are you doing everything you can to get close enough to Jesus? Or is it more accurate of a picture for you to say, "Ah, I've I've seen him before. He's coming through town. He'll be by again next week. I'm just going to stay seated. Are you doing what you can to get to Jesus? Are you recognizing that he is trying to get to you? Is there any evidence of an encounter with Jesus? Not just external, but also internal in your life. There is a sacred encounter that you can have with your Lord and Savior. I want to talk about some of the things that are our responsibility. And 
And we talked a little bit about spiritual disciplines last week, and I want to zero in on that for the rest of our time together. There is a book that's been a great blessing in my life, and it's entitled Celebration of Discipline. There's been about six or seven editions, I don't know. So if, if you have a copy and it doesn't look like this, it could very well be the same book. But Richard Foster goes in, in great detail, helping us understand not the legalism of spiritual disciplines, but the freeing blessing, the celebration of spiritual disciplines in our life. This is uh, one of the top five books that I've read besides the Bible. And if, if you'd like a, a copy, if you're a reader and you want to check that out, you can grab one after if you would like. But listen to this thought by the author of this book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. When we look at these spiritual disciplines, the need is sometimes misunderstood. Here's Foster's words. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. God is calling out to us to deepen our roots with Him and to, to go into the deep things of Him. Well, these spiritual disciplines, who, who are they for? Isn't this for the, the spiritual giant, for the elite, for that special saint that is just, you know, one step below Gabriel, the archangel? Friend, the spiritual disciplines are intended for every believer, for moms and dads, for people who mow lawns, for people who have jobs, who have kids, who have schoolwork to do. It is for every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. It's a gift given to us on these spiritual disciplines. Well, aren't these disciplines kind of painful or boring? When I think of discipline, I think of getting in trouble with my parents, being grounded or spanked, hollered at. When I think of discipline, I think of a coach who's trying to whip me into shape and yelling in my ear, no pain, no gain, keep going. Is this the picture of the spiritual disciplines? Absolutely not. God tells us that we should never, neither think of the spiritual disciplines as some dull drudgery aimed at extinguishing the laughter from the face of the earth. It is a joy. It's the keynote of all the disciplines celebrating what God is going to do in us. Jot this down. The purpose of the disciplines is... is Liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. Man, I like that thought. The spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about here in just a second, they, they are liberating us from the slavery of self-interest and fear. The things that we do over and over and over again because we're so used to getting what we want. The things that we do over and over again because we're afraid that if we don't do these things, we're not sure we would like ourselves or that others wouldn't accept us. But these spiritual disciplines move us beyond ourselves into a place where God can speak to us. Well, what are the prerequisites for this spiritual disciplines in our life? We don't need to be advanced in matters of theology to practice these disciplines. New believers can practice the spiritual disciplines as well as seasoned believers. The primary requirement is a longing after God. If your heart wants to get close to God, that is all that's required to participate in the spiritual disciplines. Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? It's this call to deeper things that God, I believe, wants to woo us into these encounters with Him. Psalm 42, 7, deep calls to deep. Perhaps somewhere in your inner core of your life, you've heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You become weary of the frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you are caught by glimpses, hints of something more than what you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch into the deep. God is calling you. He is saying there is more to this. I hear it from time to time from someone who says, you know what, I'm not so sure that my job is fulfilling me anymore. Or some say, you know, I think I'm on the edge of a, of a new chapter of my life. I, I know God has something for me. I don't know what it is. Friend, I don't pretend to know exactly what God is saying to you, but often those are the, the flags that come up in our life that are saying, go into the deep things of God. Hunger and thirst for God. It's not a job that you need changed. It's not a new situation or a new location that you need. It's a desire to have an encounter with a living God. And it should change things about you. It should elicit some kind of a response. Answering this call to deeper things. A couple challenges we'll see up front. One, a philosophic challenge. This is to think beyond the material world into the spiritual world. The enemy will come at us and say, this doesn't make much sense. This isn't really efficient. This is not something that I can calculate in a pros and cons list. But we have to begin to say, I don't fight against the things of this world, but it's of the other world. And I want to break through in a spiritual realm. Second is the practical. The actual, how do I do these disciplines in my life? Before we talk about that, I want you to think of the The sycamore tree, this fig tree that Zacchaeus climbs up in. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have any kind of hatred for figs. Fig Newtons are good, I guess. I don't know if that counts. I don't have any special place in my heart for a sycamore tree. But this was a pathway for Zacchaeus to get in a position for himself To see Jesus clearly. It called him to do something. He was of short stature. The crowd was bigger than he was. He couldn't see Jesus. And so he did his part to get to a place where he could see Jesus. The best way I can understand, this is a great picture of the spiritual disciplines. In and of themselves, study of the Word of God, prayer, fasting, meditation. We'll talk some more as this series goes on. None of them do anything of themselves, but they put us in a posture, in a position where Jesus is seeking us that we can have an encounter with God. It's our responsibility to say, God, I want to be in a place where I can encounter you. We need to be honest about the slavery of ingrained habits in our life. Just take a second to think about sin. Often when I'm preaching, I'm speaking of sin and the definition, the specific definition that James 4.17 gives us. Anyone who knows the good that he or she ought to do and does not do it, sin. Scripture says sin is lawlessness. In essence, it's when I take my will and I put it above God's will and I say, I'm going to do what I want to do. This sin separates us from God. We're accustomed to thinking of sin as individual acts and often this is good for us to see this. But in Romans, the Apostle Paul frequently refers to sin as a condition that plagues the human race. Sin is a condition 
that works its way through our very fibers of our being. And there is this slavery of ingrained habits of sin. We can deal with this ingrained sin, but often we try the ordinary method of trying to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and our determination. Whatever may be the issue for us, whether it's anger or lust or bitterness or gluttony or pride, substance abuse, we determine never ever to do it again. We pray against it. We fight against it. We set our will against it. But the struggle is all in vain. Far too often we find ourselves again morally bankrupt, or worse yet, so proud of our eternal righteousness that we are blinded to the disobedience in our life. We can have a false confidence that comes to us. The moment we feel that we can succeed and attain victory over sin by the strength of our will alone, we begin to worship the will. Willpower will never succeed in dealing with the deeply ingrained habits of sin. Let's look at this will worship together. Will worship may produce an outward show of success for a period of time, but in the cracks and crevices of our lives, deep inner condition of a sin nature will be revealed. Through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a class coming up here in a a week or two called Living Life Led and Controlled by the Holy Spirit. 201, a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. We take our entire time just to deal with this subject. But God, through the gift of His Holy Spirit, often uses this door of spiritual disciplines to open up a pathway for victory. The spiritual disciplines open up this door and we can begin to see that our failure can be leading us to freedom. It's by God's grace alone that we begin to see this. And it's this grace that should cause us to have a high priority to be responsible with what He's given to us. John Wesley has preached a number of sermons and it's been uh, talked about as our understanding of grace is so high that we have a great responsibility to deal with this grace. God has given me such a gift of forgiveness of sin. I don't want to live back in that junk anymore. I don't want to stuff the junk drawer full of so much stuff. God, would you take it out of my life? Last week, we touched on this word picture that Foster shares in another book about a spigot of grace, this big waterfall coming down and this water gushing straight down is the grace of God. And remember the spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible and prayer and study and and meditation, and all these things alike. It is helping us put one foot in front of the other, climbing that sycamore tree, putting ourselves in a position to allow Jesus to seek us. Okay, pastor, I'm starting to get it. So I can have a sacred encounter with God if I want it bad enough, and if I do it good enough, and if I just kind of grit my teeth. Absolutely not. You, You may put yourself in a position to see Jesus. But there will be no change in your life. We have to recognize it is our need for Him to chase after us to give us an encounter with Him. Next week, we will be gathering together and celebrating faith promise. But as we come back from that, we will continue in this series. And I want to encourage you to continue to stay faithful on Sunday night 
as we begin to look at some of these spiritual disciplines that put us in that place. As we close tonight, I want to ask you, what tree are you willing to climb? How bad do you want to have an encounter with Jesus? I don't feel like a spiritual giant. I don't know that I have all the answers. That is not a prerequisite to get close to Jesus. The prerequisite is to long after Him. As my soul longs for Him, He will meet me in that place of desperation. Friend, it's not like, I don't know, somebody smarter than me said it. I don't know who said it, but it's a good quote. It's not how high you jump in worship, but it's how you walk when your feet hit the ground. I'm not making fun of outward expression in worship. That's kind of my vein. It's definitely my wife's vein. She's crazy and loud, all that stuff. I love it. If that's your personality, wonderful. If it's not, then don't be like her. But this is not making a case for us to have all these outward things. It is how we walk day in and day out. God is longing to have an encounter with you that will change you in the moments when you leap and worship. It will change you when your feet hit the ground and you're walking through the, the very shadow of death and you will know that your God is with you. Amen. Father, I thank you for the attention that my brothers and sisters have given to your word tonight. I pray that you'll breathe on this passage you've given to us. Jesus, remind us these are not just stories. This is your real life account of running after Zacchaeus. Father, there are some of us in this room that feel very undesirable like Zacchaeus must have felt. Zacchaeus was a professional guy. He was doing his responsibility. There's some in this room that appear to have it all together on the outside, but they feel like they're an outcast for whatever reason. Lord, I pray that you would call them to put themselves in a place where they can see you at whatever cost. Lord, help us humble ourselves to cry out before you in honest transparency. Father, I pray that even our longing for you will be given to us by your gracious provision in our life. Lord, as we continue to learn about how to move forward in these disciplines of study and prayer and meditation and simplicity and so forth, I pray that you will allow it to not only impact us personally, but every circle of relationship that we have to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to a watching world around us, that we will actually have an up-to-date, very valid testimony to share what we have witnessed, what you have done in our life. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.